When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Holly. Hello, Dave. How are you today on the What Difference Does It Make podcast? I'm doing so fantastic today that I think I am going to raise a glass to this day. As you should, because today of all days, why is this day so different than any other day? On this day, we will be talking to Annie Zaleski, author of Pink, Raise Your Glass. We've spoken to her before, but now we're talking to her about her book on pink. Yay. We'll consider her a friend of the show, right? Totally. Come on. I mean, she is the quintessential friend of the show. That's right. Yeah. I loved looking through this book because pink became popular. When my kids were just getting into pop music, I, of course, gravitated towards her and she kind of had this rock feel. And so I was uh, always interested in her career and took interest. So I was excited that uh, Annie has decided to take this on. And you are a huge fan. Interestingly enough, I think I'm a huge fan. I would have qualified myself as a huge fan. But after reading Annie's book, I realized that there's a lot I did not know about Pink. Well, great. Well, let's learn some more about Pink. But before we learn about Pink, let's learn about social media with the What Difference Does It Make podcast. How do we do that? (laughs) Well, you will find outtakes from our talk with Annie and lots of other of our interviews on our YouTube channel at What Difference Does It Make Podcast and on our social media at WDDIM Podcast. Okay, let's get into it right now with Annie Zaleski. She has written a book called Pink, Raise Your Glass on the What Difference Does It Make Podcast. Hey, you want to talk pink? Sure. <laughs> Thank you for, I'm sure Dave told you when he reached out, I'm a huge fan and of pinks and yours. So thank you, thank you for doing this. We can link it to the 80s. We're good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, she is kind of an 80s artist in a way. She she really is. If it helps for our conversation, I did Slate's Chris Malanfi's podcast. And while we were talking, I'm like, Pink is like the Annie Lennox of the modern day. Like I, I hadn't even thought about it. It hadn't even occurred to me. And I made this really brilliant argument on, on my feet. So if, if we want to use that, because I have I have good arguments for that. And I think there's a lot of parallels between her and 80s artists. A really good observation. Yeah. You're and absolutely like, right. Why didn't I think of that when I was writing the book? That would have been great. But <laughs> That's it's right. out now. So, yeah. That's right. You, you Well, you started the book comparing her to Radiohead, which was like, okay, yeah. <laughs> right, here we go. <laughs> right. Exactly. Uh, she has had a progression. To, starting out, it was kind of a, a little mix. As a teenager, it was rock and roll in, in a way. It was like the 90s, you know, the, the early 90s. She was in a band in Philadelphia, right? She was in a couple bands. Yeah, it's funny because um, I'm dating myself, but I think Pink and I were born, I think, the same week of each other, like literally to the exact like year. And so we pretty much had the same progression um, growing up. She had a really interesting upbringing. I mean, she, as like many kids, she grew up singing Madonna at first and her dad was in Vietnam. So she grew up on also 60s folk music. And then by the time she hit adolescence, it was grunge central. So she was like in a cool, like rock grunge band. And that's when she first kind of started writing songs and putting lyrics to music. And so that was really her, um, you know, kind of her entryway into kind of pro music, basically. That and clubs in Philadelphia, she would go there and sing and open mic nights because she had this really wonderful R&B leaning voice as well. So she was always really versatile, even as a kid. It is similar to Madonna, except, you know, just a different city, but hitting those clubs and just trying to find your way, right? Right. Well, exactly. And, you know, and she, she was a lot younger than Madonna. And so I think that's what's really funny when you look at it is that, you know, she was a, um, you know, she was a rebel. I mean, she was basically, she was very rebellious. Her parents divorced. She took that really hard. And she was kind of a teenage delinquent. You know, she was arrested a few times. She was, you know, she would sneak out. Like she was really like, you know, like her parents did not know what to do with her. And so she was out of clubs, basically doing things, drinking and just like, and like all sorts of stuff, like really, really young. But she always had that kind of musical talent. 
And I, you know, she sort of got scared straight because a friend of hers OD'd, I believe. And so she was like, I can't do this anymore. And so she got all of her partying kind of out of her system when she was really, really young. And then she actually ended up being in an R&B group. She got recruited when she was still a teenager. And so that was sort of her entryway into the professional, professional music industry. So that was choice. Yes. The band choice. So you say was recruited. So was that kind of a, not manufactured sound, but that was sort of a manufactured band? You know, it's a good question because she was in this group before that called Basic Instinct, which is also hilariously 90s. <laughs> it was it's a, it was an yeah. all like female R&B group. And then I can't remember if Choice is the one she she tried out at a McDonald's. But there was there was so much going on in Philadelphia at that point, because kind of in the mid 90s, R&B girl groups were I mean, the 90s in general, R&B girl groups were huge between TLC at the end of the decade, Destiny's Child, you had people earlier in the decade like Jade. And so that was like, you know, the group that, you know, basically people wanted to form, you know, obviously the Spice Girls and they were more pop leaning, but, you know, as well. And so, yeah, she formed this R&B group. And what's wild is that they were on LaFace Records yeah. in Atlanta and, and they were rec they recorded a lot of music and pretty much almost none of it has surfaced officially if anyone remembers the movie kazam the shack movie <laughs> they had a song on the soundtrack that was like their you know big you know coming out Obviously, it did not go very yeah, far. Yeah, I looked on streaming services to, to find it, and it wasn't there. But, of course, on YouTube, it's there. Yeah. And, oh, yeah. And then I'm like, okay, this just sounds – it's it's almost like a parody song of what the 90s should sound like. It's it's good. It's in the pocket, but it's not – not notable, I, I guess, is what I would Well, think. exactly. And I think, you know, and, and you know, I think that's no knock necessarily on them. That was just like, you know, uh, they were like, they were basically almost kids. And they were yeah. trying to be like molded by this label into this girl group. And Pink had a really good voice, but she had a really unique voice. One of her uh, bandmates got into the band, the Christian band, Zoe Girl. I don't know if you're familiar with them. It was a very kind of unique sort of mix too. So they probably wouldn't have worked out anyway just because they were all, they, everyone in the group sort of had different styles and sort of different, you know, musical preferences. It was like, you know, by, you know, age 19, basically, she was sort of like, you know, potentially she had already been on a major label and had an unsuccessful major label experience. In the book, you said she still kind of was connected to the, the her two bandmates in choice. I guess she had an opportunity to go solo or what? Go so weird, because like doing, you know, it's, it's, the 90s was such a weird time in the music industry anyway. It was sort of like the last time when there was a lot of money flowing around and there was, you know, a lot of you know, pressure on artists. And it was, she, she sort of basically got an ultimatum that she would either like go solo and, you know, have and keep her record deal or she was done. And so she was like, and she was like, so she was like 18. Like she wasn't, she was barely 18. She was a kid. And she was basically saying, do you want to leave your friends behind and like have your dream come true? Or do you want everything to go away for loyal to them? And like, in hindsight, asking that of anybody is terrible, but asking that of a young girl mm. is horrible. Like, it's just absolutely like the, one of the, you know, the, the stereotypical worst music industry stories you always hear. And I think they talked it out and I think, you know, everyone kind of decided it was for the best. And I think by the end of the, the band's tenure, like, you know, Pink had kind of started to come into her own and everyone was like, yeah, you know, she had that extra bit of charisma. So I think it worked out okay. But yeah, that was sort of the situation, which is just wild in, in hindsight and, and really terrible for, you know, a young artist to have to make that decision. She didn't seem to leave any, any bad feeling in her wake on her way up. I mean, until stupid girls, <laughs> <laughs> but she didn't seem to have, leave anything bad in her wake, which is 
pretty amazing, you know, relationships, no severed relationships or anything like that. It is true. I think part of it also was that at that point, she was the one who was kind of being taken advantage of. Like, you know, she had a management company that she worked with that, you know, she had signed to and they sort of abandoned her when she wasn't successful. And then when she signed her record deal, they kind of came back. And so she had a lot of like bad business dealings as well. And I think her initial record deal she signed with LaFace Records you know, was not anything lucrative, probably because she was a baby artist and, you know, baby artists don't necessarily get, you know, huge multi-million dollar record deals. And so she was still kind of feeling her way. Like she wasn't yet sort of, you know, in a position of power to do things, but that is kind of, I think, as, as you kind of talk to a testament to kind of her personality is as brash and kind of forceful as she is, you know, at heart, she's a really, you know, kind person. And you can tell that she's someone who's very well-respected. You don't necessarily hear people talking badly about her, the tabloids and things like that in beyond like certain instances. Who is Pink's manager? Who is the person that after she left this initial management group who kind of helped her get these deals, these better deals? So it's, it's Roger Davies who worked with Tina Turner and Cher. And so he is like a super, super high powered manager. And so I think he's a really good match for her because the caliber of artists he works with first off are superstars, but he's also really good at working with these very strong women who have very distinct personalities. He never tried to suppress any of that. He managed to kind of make sure that they were in situations that suited them and made a lot of sense for you know who they are and their unique personalities. Um, and she's been with him forever. She's still with him now, actually. And so that's pretty good when you're a big artist like that and you keep your management for decades. Because that, as yeah. you know, as everyone all knows, that usually never happens. Early, we had an earlier interview uh, talking Eagles. So we talked Irving Azoff and, uh, you know, <laughs> everyone needs one of those guys in your corner. Well, it's true. And, yeah. you know, and it's and it's completely true that, you know, someone like Irving Azoff, it's different management style, but definitely a manager acts in the best interest of his client or, or her client or their client. And yeah, and he did. He's managed share since like the late 90s as well. And, you oh, know, sorry. if you figure, you know, when you, that kind of dates back to when Cher really had her super big career resurgence, that has really kind of set her on the path where she is now. So, yeah. Do you personally have a favorite era for Pink? See, it's hard because like I, you know, I, I said this to someone else, but her catalog is just so strong. You know, I was listening to Trust Fall, which is her new record over the weekend. I'm like, this is a really eclectic, good record. But I think honestly, I like Try This, which is her kind of like her punk era, which is like very, you know, on brand for me. She worked with Rancid's Tim Armstrong, which, you know, at the time, I think everyone was like, are you, what is going on? Because like in the, you know, in 2003, that was so strange when people were doing that. People were like, oh, you know, it was Avril Lavigne had just started off. And mm -hmm. so she obviously wasn't following Avril Lavigne, but like that whole like style was sort of in vogue, but it was a lot weirder then for pop artists to kind of collaborate with rock artists. You know, now I think it's totally normal. You know, I, I have a penchant for liking oh. like the errors of artists that no one else likes, but I love that <laughs> record. I think it's a really good record. Yeah. So it's just, sure, maybe you, one day it'll get its due. You like the Liz Fair pop record. So that's. I do. See, exactly. <laughs> I like the Liz Fair pop record. So we will I will stand by that. I will. I, and I, it's funny. I just discovered last night, apparently the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame has on display right now the guitar she was carrying on that album cover. Was, I, which I had no idea. And I guess that was also the guitar she used um, in the Never Said video. I had no idea. So, I that. I, that, so, And thank you for posting. Uh, it was Nils Lofgren wearing Chrissy Hines jacket 
and, right? And James Hunnaman's got, oh <laughs> right? my God. Like, as soon as I saw that, like, that's Chris. Uh, yeah, like, I, I recognize it immediately. <laughs> I mean, first off, that Chrissy still had it. I, right. I'm very impressed by it because, you Why? know, there, there are the rock stars who keep all their like amazing outfits and then others who are like, ah, whatever. And the fact that that jacket still looks so good mm. after, you know, 45 years is pretty great. Why and he it? did it right. And he was, he was playing the guitar too. And so it was all. Why isn't James that in the Bunnyman? rock? That needs to be in the rock hall. What was, I know. was it? Well, I, that, it's funny. That's what I thought when I saw that. I was just like, <laughs> I bet the rock hall wants that. But there's some, there's some pretender stuff in the rock hall. They have like a permanent Ohio exhibit. And so they mm. definitely have pretender stuff. As one should. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> We're talking about people Pink's collaborated with, but also the duets that she has. I mean, she's duetted with, Everybody. I was listening to some of them I hadn't heard before, like the Steven Tyler I didn't pay much attention to before, but I was listening to it. Do you have a favorite? That one, I love that live because she is so young in that era Mm. and she just holds her own. That she's just like, yeah, I'm going to do this. And so that that kind of like, I think showed people, hey, I'm a, I'm a rock artist. I really like the You and Me record. And I, I'm a big fan. So for people who don't know, it's Dallas Green, who's this great musician. Mm-hmm. And he's Canadian. He's in this band called City and Color. I mean, I mean, I guess that's like his like one person moniker. But he's also in this post-hardcore band called Alexis on Fire. So he's, he has a really interesting musical background, but they did this really beautiful record together called You and Me. And it's so funny because this is just typically pink. She's doing all her pop stuff and then she comes out with this record that's just like this really kind of sparse folk record that's just very meaningful. It shows off a different side of her. It's just it's sort of low key. And like she was one of the biggest pop stars in the world at that point. And she did this. And so I just think that they work really well together. You and me with each other Before we knew the other was ever there You and me, we belong together Just like a breath needs the air I told you if you called I would come running Cross the highs and lows and the in-between You and me, we've got two minds I think as one And our hearts march to the same beat I do like her duet with um, Nate Royce from Fun. And I always mispronounce oh. his last name, so I feel bad. But I was um, going to ask you. Oh, I was looking to you for that. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. But I like that. I think I think their voices blend really well together. I just think that's a really beautiful song, too. Where is Nate Royas now? What is he doing? I you love know, it's fun. funny. I looked that up just the other day because I had the same question. I forget. I think let me look that up because it's true. He was yeah. like, you know, fun was everywhere. And then, you wow. know, he was doing his own music and he was writing for other people. And then like Jack Antonoff is the one that's everywhere now. Yeah. Um, I don't know what he's doing. Oh, he made a guest appearance on Young Thug's record this year. Okay. Oh, that... oh and he has a podcast. As... Whoa. Okay. This is actually really funny. I had no idea about this. In this, I'm just reading Wikipedia. In 2021, he launched Claincast, a podcast about the Lethal Weapon TV series with his accomplice Drew of the podcast Globe Hell Warning. And his friend, Chapo FYM co-host Tom. All right. So he's having a good I time. I have no idea. That's kind <laughs> of amazing, actually. I guess when your your duet with Pink gets, it, it was it like two, over two billion view, oh, yeah. it's, views? It's, it's crazy. Yeah.
son. Um, I yeah, I think absolutely that he made a good living to be able to just kind of you know do what he wants for a while. God, I love that. Yeah. That was one of my favorite albums at that time. That it was so queen. Period. Yeah, yeah. It was got, so, we say like, well produced. Absolutely. <laughs> You know what? I should have I should have forgotten. So he actually was supposed to do a reunion with um, the band, the format. That was his like oh, big right, band right. in, yeah. and COVID really like kind of scotched the tour. So like it was it was postponed, and then they canceled it. So that's kind of a bummer. I'm, I'm sure we haven't heard the last of him. We are talking with Annie Zaleski, the author of Pink. Raise your glass. We are going to possibly raise a glass and take a break right now. Pantheon Podcast listeners, Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house, and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com pantheon. Buyraycon.com pantheon. on the What Difference Does It Make podcast with our guest, Annie Zaleski. When did you first see Pink in concert? What was your impression the first time you saw her? So it's funny, I've actually never seen her. What? I I know, well, because so I'm in Cleveland and, you know, and she's been here a couple of times and she's coming in the fall, but it's like either like for whatever reason, like my schedules, it hasn't aligned. Like she's one of the very few modern pop stars I haven't seen because I'm a big fan of modern pop. But I, you know, I've seen her on award shows though. And like, I was at the Rock Hall Inductions last year when she was there and I've seen her on, you know, a million award shows. And so I've seen her live. I felt hard following her from her first album. So it can't take me home. Cause at that point I was super, super into pop music and I was super into, you know, everything that was on MTV and TRL and the top 40. And so like, I was a big fan of hers from the very start. There you go. And most girls and all that stuff. She just really, really stood out to me. And, you know, part of it was, I think her, you know, rebellious nature and like she had pink hair and (laughs) I could never, ever, ever dye my hair because it was too dark. So, um, so it was difficult, but, you know, for the book, I did a lot of watching of kind of her live shows and things on YouTube. And she's just so unbelievably impressive between the detail and the planning that goes into her live shows. And part of that's because it's such a physical show. You know, she's ziplining over the crowd or she's many, many feet up in the air doing acrobatics or doing ribbon work and doing rhythmic dancing or trapeze in the air. So obviously all that stuff takes a lot of practice just for safety reasons, but she works really hard for anyone who goes to see her that they leave satisfied. Maybe if you've spent a lot of money for a ticket, you're not going to go home disappointed. And I think that's really admirable for any artist to do. She's very conscious of her fans and what they're doing to come and see her. And so she really respects that. There's a really good documentary on her that came out, I think, a couple of years ago, that they kind of go behind the scenes of one of Mm -hmm. her tours. And just it's, you know, it's really amazing to see how hands-on she is to make sure everything is great, too. I got to say, for people who say, oh, you know, I'm not I'm not really a fan or I'm not I don't like her music or, you know, her voice isn't your thing. If you go to see her live, you will be 
completely entertained. You don't have to be a huge fan of the music. You will get your money's worth. You will enjoy some aspect of it. I just, you know, I know Dave's heard me gush. I could just <laughs> spend the whole whole hour just gushing about her, but she's worthy of it. She is absolutely worthy of it. You look at her set list and she does all of her hits, of course. The covers she does... You're like, oh, she's just a pop star. She does, she's covering Bob Dylan. She covered Bob Dylan the other night in Poland. Make you feel my love. She's covered Guns N' Roses. She's covered Chardet. She's covered Aerosmith. She's covered Janis Joplin. She really kind of shows off the range and her eclectic kind of background and what she likes. So you're completely right. I'm with you. <laughs> Thank so, you. This <laughs> but where where this acrobatic I mean, she was a rebellious teen when she was younger. Was it gymnastic? I have a feeling in her teenage years, she wasn't doing this at all. You can't really just pick this up again. Or can you? <laughs> Clearly you can. So she did. She was a competitive gymnast as a kid. And like from like when she was really, really tiny up until a teenage dumb. But then she actually, I think she got kicked out of class because she was like, you know, if she had kind of reached a rebellious stage. And so she was just like, there were a couple of interviews where she talked about that. So she ended up getting kicked out of class. But yeah, she was hardcore like training, you know, so she liked singing and did that too. She was like a very athletic kid. I'm guessing she probably kind of at that, you know, when you kind of train like that, especially when you were younger, I think it just kind of, it, it's kind of ingrained into you a little bit. You cannot do what she does without training and without working out and really taking care of yourself properly. And she's had health problems before when she's like said that even already that she's had to like, she's had a couple surgeries and things like that. So it does wear on you. It does wear on you. Yeah. I think she works really hard to take care of herself. Clearly. I mean, you're the same age. Could you can't even oh. imagine doing what, she, what she's Absolutely doing. Absolutely not. Oh my God. You know, I watched that and I'm like, wow. Okay. I, I should really go to the gym this week. Yeah, right. because I am like decades behind her at this point. Yeah. It's, it's pretty remarkable. That she's in her early 40s. Yeah. And the strength that it takes to do that, like for the life of me, I mean, I couldn't imagine. I tried to do a cartwheel recently. <laughs> like I can't even do a cartwheel anymore. Uh-huh. <laughs> Your body just doesn't work that way. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Like, how did I ever do this? Or how did I ever? Right. I think I did somersaults as a kid. And now I'm like, oh my God, if I try to do a somersault, I would like strain my neck. My neck. I wouldn't be able to move. Yeah. <laughs> and that she sings while she's doing this. That's the second part. She's doing all these like amazing dance moves and she's singing. It's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Like that, the amount of training that goes into that, people to do that is just mind blowing. I think you're right. People don't necessarily respect that or realize that what she's doing. When they see her and what she's doing, they're like, oh, they get it. But it doesn't necessarily register sometimes what she's doing and sustained over a show as well. I mean, her shows are not exactly short. It was like 25 songs. Amazing. That's ridiculous. Kind of like Taylor Swift's new tour, which is, you know, three hours long and also like very extremely physical. Was it the Grammy ceremony where Pink first attempted this or was that always a part of her show? That's a good question. I'd have to look at like kind of the progression of her tours, but I it's it's something that was sort of like ramping up over time. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the, the one performance that you're thinking of is when, you know, she had these like, and this was actually different than like, so, cause she has like, you know, variations on sort of the ribbon dancing that she does. And so this one was wild. This was at the 2010 Grammys. And you know, she basically had these ribbons that like she like wrapped around her and they were on her ankles and like she was basically up in the air and spinning around and there was water involved and like it was unbelievable. It was absolutely unbelievable. It was beautiful and it was graceful, but it was definitely just, you know, you're just like, what? How can she do that? And I think that was one of the performances that was sort of a pivot point in her career too because it was so high profile and people were like wow this is next level in terms of pop stardom but you know on the other hand she's sort of she's setting the bar for herself so very high that at a certain point you have to sort of say okay I'm I can't do this anymore as we were kind of talking about or you know I'm not going to do this all the time just because you just simply can't because it's so potentially dangerous or physical and things like that. She's doing stadium tours. Is this, you think like this is going to be the last big, big show for pink where she's doing acrobatics, doing her, her pink thing. You know, I don't know. Cause I think with her like tours, I mean, she could do something now where she would, she could decide I'm going to do something in one place. Maybe I'm just going to set up. And I think a lot of artists are doing that. Like, look, Harry Styles did. Mm. I'm just going to set up in one place and do something. And so that's a little bit easier on you. She could do something where she's like, I'm going to do maybe a stripped down tour. So 
even if she wasn't doing all of these really, really physical things, I think she could still play stadiums or in arenas, especially because I think just her songs are so strong. She has such a strong catalog Mm -hmm. and I think she'd be able to present a show that wasn't necessarily that over the top that, you know, she could do something that was still really impressive, but not necessarily as hard on her body. Hopefully she will continue to perform after she gives up doing this. He had to wonder the conversation because her husband is also a a daredevil if they ever have a conversation about safety. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Well, because he was in some wicked accidents Mm -hmm. when he was younger. And so I'm sure that they have all, you know, they have kids now. So it's like, okay, let's figure out what are we willing to risk? What are we willing to not risk? And so, yeah, absolutely. I'll do the stunts this year. Yeah, exactly. And then you can do them next year because we can't risk something happening to us at the same time. Exactly. It's true. At the intro, you mentioned all the awards she's won, but then you also say that she's won a Daytime Emmy Award. Doing what? What did she do? It was on the Ellen Show or what? Can you tell me about how she got a Daytime Emmy? So yeah, I forgot she wrote the theme for Ellen and, you know, she did the theme song Today's the Day for one of the seasons of her talk show. I hate on all I see is so mundane to me. This box I've painted pains me. But you could watch me. So what happened in this seat, you can look it up on YouTube, but she's a guest on Ellen's show. And then Ellen said, so congratulations, you won a daytime Emmy. She's like, what? And she pulls out this Emmy and just gives it to her. Like, is that how, and she's like, what? Is this a joke? Am I going to be punked? What's happening here? And it was, it's legit, I guess. And that's how they present Emmys to daytime Emmys. Because it's weird because, yeah, it's it's the daytime Emmys and like you forget that they now it's a little bit bigger than it was then. Because I think then everyone's like, what are the daytime Emmys? I have no idea. You know, it was still sort of odd and sort of not as high profile, but I think it is. It counts. It counts toward an EGOT. Let's put it that way. Oh, okay. Yes. <laughs> it's still an Emmy. Yeah, exactly. You know, oh. even though it's daytime, there's no asterisk involved. <laughs> so do, does she have Broadway aspirations? Is that uh, what you're hinting at? You could see she could have a great jukebox musical, I think, because mm-hmm. when you look at I think she has she has the body of work now to be able like I think there could be something really, really cool put together, whether it's sort of a fictionalized version of her own life or you know a story about your perseverance and underdogs. I think there could be a pretty good uh, musical on using her music as sort of a, a soundtrack. OK, she heard it here. If she gets the idea, you yeah. know where it came from. Exactly. <laughs> or she could hire me. as the right. well, It doesn't count for as an EGOT, but she's a she's a foodie. And also she's got a, her own farm. And what's this wine that we can't get? Or what's the secret to getting a bottle of this stuff? I know. So it's that was like actually the funniest thing. I had no idea that she was such a wine connoisseur actually, until like I I started like digging into things and I was like, wow, there's a really a lot here. So it's cool. It's two wolves wine. And it's really interesting. There's a whole backstory to it. There's a whole like she talks about her journey with that. She talks about why she's into wine. I think a lot of times a lot of celebrities will have wines and they'll just sort of, you know, I'm just going to put our name on this label, like whatever. And this is really, she's really legitimate. She's very, very serious about it. And she's very serious about making it good. So basically you have to join. And I think this is pretty common. I think Gerald Casale, that's like his model too, that you basically have to like have membership in her wine club and then they can, um, you have an invitation, you can purchase wine if you live in, you know, the right States. I, they they ship to 41 states out of 50. Is, is Ohio one of them? <laughs> Ohio, you can actually. Oh, so okay. I, I've, I've considered it. So I'm like, I'm, I'm curious about that. So yeah, so that's, oh. that's cool. It's called, yeah, Two Wolves Wine. And she's very spiritual about it almost, which I think is kind of cool. And that's what mm-hmm. I love about it. That, yeah, that she, you know, she's kind of like, maybe this is my retirement plan. And maybe mm-hmm. this is something you know, I'm going to pass along to my kids. 
because, you know, she actually works on there. And I mean, I think that's also kind of, you know, different than a lot of the celebrity wines too, is that she's very from like the beginning to the end, like she is all in and very hands-on. You'll be jealous of us. We went to Vegas and we saw Keith Urban. Keith Urban yeah. is so great. Like, cause I think we were in Vegas at one point when he was doing a show, we weren't able to make it, but it's like, oh, he's, I, yeah, I'm a big fan of his. He's so talented. He puts on such a great show. Exactly. He's such a showman. Yeah. yeah. But And that's the other thing about Pink. She loves country as well. I mean, Chris Stapleton and Kenny Chesney. She has no boundaries with her musical choices. And the, I mean, that Kenny Chesney song was so great. It was such a hit too. You know, like he like postponed his album to like to make sure to get it on there. And it was massive. It was a huge hit. Yeah, we got drunk on La Cienega Boulevard. Taking pictures of people we thought were stars. It's easy to give into your heart. When you're drunk on La Cienega Boulevard. When the song coming out of the speakers was the band that you had on your t-shirt. We were screaming cause all the streets were empty. And you kissed me and we were up all night and we were feeling so. been so good about saying you know I like music and not necessarily seeing genre boundaries and kind of pushing boundaries and especially on her last couple records she's really done that in terms of trying to make it be pretty eclectic and she's really good at it I think that's the difference she's not just like oh I'm going to dabble in this and whatever like generally she's so popular now that people are like yeah this is actually really good like had she put out try this now I think that it probably would have been received a lot better than it was 20 years ago Whatever it is about her voice, I don't know, you know, music, you know, I'm not trained in music and you know, musically, but her voice just with everyone she duets with, it's just perfect. Okay. And I think you make such a good point on that because, you know, even though she does have such a powerful voice, she's able to sing with other people. You mm -hmm. know, she's not going in and just belting out these songs. She's, you know, trying to figure out what is the best way for me to sing with these people. What do I need to do with my voice on this to make this work? It's a difficult skill. There are some pop artists that just are not as good as, at that. And so she's really good at that and, and adapting and, and being okay with that too. Because that's the other part is that she's totally okay maybe not being, you know, the center of attention or being, I need to have like, you know, this line, like she's really good about being in service to the song and making sure the song is good. Which leads us to Lady Marmalade. How did she, how do you find your way in, in that trio of, of ladies, right. <laughs> you know? I mean, that song came out when she was still sort of pretty, you know, considered pretty much an R&B pop artist. But when she ended up on the song, she was sort of like, you know, the token rock person because, you know, so she was with Christina Aguilera, Lil' Kim and Maya. And then Missy Elliott, you know, produced it, was on the song as well. And so, you know, you had Christina Aguilera as the pop artist. You had Lil' Kim as the rapper. Maya was R&B. So Pink was rock. <laughs> it's so funny because people forget that she was still kind of on her way up at that point she was popular and she was you know it had a good year but that really kind of helped elevate her profile a lot you know as there were so many stories floating around she didn't get along with christina each side has had a different story and you know the last i heard everyone had kind of patched everything up and pink is like them you know i'm so tired of talking about this like we're all good but at the time it was like a big thing but you know but that's also very indicative of the time 
that was very, it was a lot more sexist at that point. You know, they were pitting these women against each other. You know, you had Britney versus Christina, you know, you had Backstreet Boys versus NSYNC. You had all of these people needed people to be in contrast with each other and kind of fighting against each other. You couldn't just have people coexisting. So I think part of that also was the time in which that song um, emerged. So along the same lines, along the same theme, um, back to Stupid Girls. So yeah, back then, I thought it was funny and not untrue, you know, along the, the lines of the way a lot of people do think and do, do feel about right. some of these people she was depicting in the video. But knowing more about her now and she's so like kind and generous of herself that I almost feel like even though she stood by it, you know, she was making her point and I guess she stands by it. I almost feel like she wouldn't make something like that today. I completely agree. Yeah. Go to Fred Siegel, you'll find them there. And I think that like is like example number one about something that was so, so, so of its time. Because it was basically like, she was like, you don't have to dumb yourself down. That was like the height of, you know, paparazzi and fame and people being famous just because of how they look. And it was very, it was sort of the start of kind of reality shows. And it was basically like, you know, oh, you, you know, you're acting like pretty and you're, you're looking pretty and you're acting dumb. You don't need to do that. When, you know, now people would say, look, I can wear whatever I want. That doesn't have any bearing on my intelligence or what I'm doing or how successful I am. And she was basically saying that smart people can't be this. So you're completely right. I do not think she would make that today at all. And I think that I'd have to look it up. I think she's sort of been like, oh, I don't know if I would like do that one now. It's very dated and not in a good way. It just feels out of character her for yeah. her now. 100%. What about her uh, her Freebird song? The uh, the her collaboration with Linda Perry. Let's get the party started. Is that a first song or is that the last song? Or what? Where... Oh, she is so good. That is a first song. Okay. And and the greatest thing it has, and she's been doing this for a while, but it has elements of Sweet Dreams by the Eurythmics in it. I mean, what a way to start off a set. I mean, that's, you know, it's all downhill from there. Really. <laughs> it's not... Oh, so <laughs> we can go home. Right. It's not downhill from there. That's what's so good. Like it, with other artists, it would be like, yeah, I've peaked, you know, time to go. But okay. yeah, she's just getting, as as the song says, she's just getting started. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm just going to read off her set list from the, this Germany, and she's huge in Germany. So she started with Get the Party Started, and then did Raise Your Glass, Who Knew, Just Like a Pill, Try, and What About Us? Yeah. Those are the first six songs. Those are six bangers, set. right? Yeah. I mean, it's like, wow, good Lord. So yeah, it's, it's, um, you know, she comes out swinging basically, you know, that that's an encore for some people, you know, with those, with the caliber of those hits, she's like, I'm going to get, I'm going to get you, give you your money's worth right away. It's interesting that you say she's huge in Germany. So that is actually where I was in Berlin for work for a conference in 2001. 
And it was the very first time I saw the video for Just Like a Pill. And wow. it, it was either MTV Europe or it might have been one of the German channels. And they were playing it like on an endless loop. It's, you know, every hour. And that's when I fell in love with her. Germany, they played her and I didn't know, or I don't know if I had not paid attention to her really before, but from misunderstood. And it's funny because I actually, I'm not a hundred percent sure why she is so popular there, but in her tour, like she's, she did, you know, two nights in, in Hanover in an arena recently. She played in Cologne. She did two nights. She did two nights in Munich. She, you know, she did Berlin. And so like, she's doing multiple multiple shows there too and so she's you know going all around the country and so she's been popular for like well over 20 years which is you know pretty amazing yeah well like you say in the book she's not just playing to to kids this is moms and grandmas and dads and everyone this is me it's kind of like bruno mars it's like you know it's music that everyone it's music the whole family can agree on (laughs) (laughs) exactly and people can grow up with her yeah yeah. i think that's the cool thing is that you know, even though she's kind of grown up in public, her music has grown up too. You know, she's singing about more grown up things in her music as well and singing about things that are affecting her life. She's really, really good at making that relatable to all ages. But, you know, especially as, you know, as an adult, you can be like, I can enjoy this. This is cool. This, this, I can relate to this. First of all, did you choose the photos for the book? No. So this was, so I, the publisher who put out this book is a UK publisher. They are amazing about choosing the photos. Um, Basically, you know, I, all I had to do was write the text and supply the text. And then they went through and kind of chose everything. They have a really good instinct in terms of what works with what they can get and what works and things like that. And so they they did all the design as well. And so that, that was really, really cool. It was, it was a really good, good balance of things. Yeah, it looks great. They were really well chosen. Yeah. 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 It feels like a coffee table book. It's like, you know, these big, gorgeous (laughs) pictures, right? (laughs) Right. Yeah. That is the goal. I'm glad you noticed that. That's perfect. You want to put that on your coffee table, make your table like the coolest table in in the room, in in your house, basically. There's your pull quote, Dave. (laughs) Like, just like a coffee table book. (laughs) Obviously, you've written on Duran Duran and Lady Gaga. What was the impetus for Pink? So the, it's funny because the publisher, I did my Lady Gaga first, a book first, and then they're like, Hey, we actually want to do a pink book. Are you interested? And I was like, absolutely. Um, You know, like I said, I had followed her entire career. I'd been reviewing her records for many, many years. And I've never been able to interview her, which is, which is the biggest bummer. And like the, the way these books are, the the deadlines are pretty quick. And I didn't necessarily have time to do that. But I I was like, oh my gosh, yeah. And so, and what I like about these books is you really do get to kind of dive into their career and say, all right, you know, there's the stuff you know, but you know, what about the stuff you don't know? Or what about the things that maybe people have forgotten about? Or is there something you can do and you can talk about and give people kind of a different perspective on her? And so I'm um, just because of my background in music writing with a lot of these books, I like to focus on the music and say, hey, this is what she's talking about. This is her mindset then. And just really kind of tracing that. It, it was kind of a, you know, one of those dream assignments you get that you're like, absolutely, I want to do this. Like, this is what a pleasure to be able to kind of dive into her life and her music and really dig into why she's so special. Did you specifically not want to speak to Pink? Would you want to? I would Did love to try... interview her at some point with the way kind of like freelancing is at this point. Like, 
a lot of like the the biggest, biggest interviews get like kept in house. And so if you're on staff at a place, mm. you can do that. I would love to interview her because I, you know, a, the fact that we're like both, you know, Virgos in the same <laughs> year, obviously we're going to, you know, get along, but I just like, I, I, I really respect her as an artist and really respect her honesty. And, you know, I would just really, really like to talk with her, you know, just because I think she's interesting. I think she's really, she's really smart and she's very caring. It's also really groundbreaking in so much of what she's done for pop music. One day, hopefully. One day. One day. How could she not want to talk to you after this book? <laughs> I, see, I, I'm, I don't know. You know, it's funny because these, these books come out. I have no idea if she's seen it. Like you never find out. So we'll have to see. She would want to talk to me though. Cause I, I would ask her very good questions. Yeah, of course I know would. everything about her now. So I'm like, I have questions for you. Enjoy the rest of your night and good luck. The book, the book is beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. We'll awesome. talk to you soon. Take care. Thank you, Annie. Thank you. Oh, thank you. This was fun. All right. Holly, did you learn anything about <gasps> Alicia Moore? I did. Although I realized that we didn't talk about where her name came from. So that'll be for next time. That should be the first question we ask Annie next time we talk to her. I think we should just let the mystery be. That's fine. Okay. For as much appreciation as I had for her before talking to Annie, I have a whole lot more now. How about you? Yeah, of course. It's always interesting to to learn about artists that you might not be that familiar with, but and just learn about their their rise to fame. And it's always a fascinating story. I, I never get tired of it. That's why I love these music documentaries. I love the books. I, I just I can't get enough. So that's why we do this thing, right? That is absolutely why we do this thing. And I guess we should thank our listeners for coming along with us on this ride that was a little outside the 80s. But I think we connected it pretty well. And even if you're a fan of 80s music, there still won't be anything about Pink that you won't appreciate. Oh, well, and thank you to our listeners who are listening to us because we're talking about Pink, who are coming on to the What Difference Does It Make podcast. How do they find out more about us? Hey, you can find out more about us on social media at WDDIM Podcast and on YouTube where you will find out. You want to know what we look like? You can find us on YouTube at What Difference Does It Make Podcast. Very good. And we have a website. I, I hear websites are a thing now. So you can find us at WDDIMpodcast.com where you can sign up for our newsletter and see all our other podcast episodes that we've had. I think they're all fascinating. And we have new episodes every Friday, don't we? We do. I look forward to every one of them. Yeah, I have no idea what's coming up next, but it's going to be a good one. I'll tell you that. So Tell me. <laughs> I can't. I can't. <laughs> so until next time, this is Dave. This is Holly. Check you later. Over and out. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.